Well, if you've got your Bibles handy, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Well, all of you brought it tonight and you're singing. And that was wonderful. Thank you so much. That song, Magnify, um, it is a shame when we sing a song like that and we don't really sing it. But you sang it and that encouraged me so much. The name of God is so wonderful and we are blessed to be here. Thank you for your presence here today. I hope you had a wonderful day today. Thank you that... You are serving the Lord and you're putting Him first and trying to think about Him as we get really practical in our lives with God. <clears throat> I read an article a couple of years ago that one of the reasons why young people leave our fellowship is they have received at least the perception that everything about worshiping God happens within this building one day a week. Now, if you have any maturity about you, you know that's not true. As Christians, we are to be active every day. But I have to admit that I think I understand where that perception comes from. There is such an emphasis that we make on doing things the right way while we're here. And that's proper. I'm not suggesting we do otherwise. That sometimes the practicality of daily Christian living is lost. And that's what we're talking about here. We are talking about the idea of our service that we give to God, our service that we give to one another, the service that we give to the lost. And as Christians, we've got to understand this is the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity is service, and that's sometimes a hard pill for us to swallow. Sometimes we don't want to be servants. We want others to serve us. But the call of Scripture is that we are to be people who serve. We started yesterday morning by looking at the fact that God is our servant. And I hope you were impressed with the remarkable idea that the creator of the universe longs to serve us. We oftentimes use the word blessed, that God blesses us. That's God serving us. That this awesome, incredible God who made everything through his son, Jesus Christ, wants to come into your life and he wants to serve you. And ultimately, he does this through Jesus Christ. And so if that is true, our next sermon was that we need to be people who serve God. We give ourselves over to a a higher calling. We spend too much of our time serving lesser things, chasing after all the wrong things. Our call is to serve God. And last night, we talked about how we serve the lost of the world. And we do that the way Jesus did, by reaching out to people, noticing them, having spiritual discussions with them, being patient and tender with them, but sometimes saying the things that are hard to say, but we say those things because we love them. Let's talk tonight about our relationship with one another. In Romans chapter 16, the Apostle Paul said this, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. It is remarkable that 2,000 years later, we are still talking about this woman, Phoebe. The fact is, we don't know a lot about her. We don't know where she's from, other than the church in Centria, where she's a servant. But we don't know if she was from someplace else and moved there. We don't know if she was married. We don't know if she had children. But two things stand out. One, she was a servant of the church, and that was incredibly noteworthy. And the second was the Apostle Paul thought highly of her. Now, I want you to slow down and think about that one for a moment. 
If there's someone that the Apostle Paul thinks highly of, you and I need to take that person in. And what you find as you look through chapter 16 is Paul just starts talking about a lot of other servants. People who are remembered centuries later for no other reason than they were servants. Some, like Aquila and Priscilla, had churches that met in their house. Others were just good people who helped other people. We don't know anything about any of these other people other than they were servants. And for that reason alone, they were remembered. They were servants of the church. What about you? What about me? What's the purpose of our our, our being here tonight? Our purpose is not just to go through emotion, but to open up the Word and let the Word of God convict us. We're talking about serving one another. There are a lot of people who are leaving the church and a lot of young people because they think it's just ceremony here, but it's not affecting our lives. We want to have a meaningful relationship with the Lord. Service is where it's at. Service has to be something that we do. And serving the church is something that takes place on Sunday and Wednesday night, but it's so much broader than that. I want to share with you tonight four things that I find in Scripture to really address the idea of how do we become a servant of the church? How do we become someone like Phoebe? And the first one is this. We become a servant of the church by caring for one another. One of the noteworthy characteristics of the early church, if you open your Bible to Acts chapter 2, is that they cared for one another. And it's really remarkable what we find there. Verse 45 of chapter 2. We are told that you have all these people on the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches to them. 3,000 are baptized in one day. That must have been a remarkable thing to see. Verse 45 They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So, these Christians were so concerned about one another, they were selling their possessions to help one another. That's pretty remarkable. But think about this. If there was a brother or sister here in this congregation, and they were in severe need... And you'd worshipped with this brother or sister for years and you loved them and you cared about them and they had a need. Would you be willing to sell something to help them? Most of us would be willing to do that, right? Even if it meant that you wouldn't take a vacation, if this was a dear brother or sister, you'd probably do that. And maybe if you loved them enough, you might be willing to sell your car and downsize in your car Or maybe sell some land. But what you need to understand about Acts chapter 2 that is so remarkable, a lot of these people had never met each other before. These people came from across the Roman world, and they came for the day of Pentecost. They didn't know everyone there. But then, on the day of Pentecost, the Gospels preached. These people start becoming Christians, and it's not like they grew up with one another. It's not like they knew each other deeply. It's not like they had been over to each other's houses all the time. You have 3,000 people who barely knew one another. But these Christians start selling their property. Do you find that amazing? I find it mind-boggling. If we knew each other, we might be willing to do this. These people so embrace what Christianity is about, 
They didn't know each other, but they said, hey, this person over here, they've got a need and I can help them out. Chapter 4, verses 35 through 37. None was there, nor was there among them anyone who lacked. For all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed each to everyone who had need. And Josie, whose name, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the son of Cyprus, having land sold and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What I want you to see is this remarkable spirit of serving their fellow Christian. So remarkable, they didn't even know this person necessarily. But they were willing to sacrifice. And so we find, as we look in chapter 6, that there are Christians there who are part of this daily distribution just a short time after Acts chapter 2. There are Christians who are constantly in need, and Christians are taking care of one another. They're distributing to the needs of one another. Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9, talks about widows who are taken into the number, or some translations say, on the roll. It was recognized that the church was taking care of these women. These women were in need, and the Christians felt like this is our obligation to help her. All of this, not because they knew each other, but because they value the faith of one another. This is crucial, beloved. If we are to be servants of the church, servants of one another, we have got to start looking at one another and valuing what this other person brings to the kingdom of God. Not only did they care for the physical needs, they also cared for the spiritual needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe we're a little more comfortable with that. We've got to grasp this idea of helping one another. I think one of the problems, it's not really a problem, One of the reasons why we struggle with the idea of helping one another out physically, financially, is because that need is not as great in our country. We have so many safety nets set up in our society. If someone's in physical need, there's some kind of government agency that can help them, and there's not as much of a pressing need for the church to step in and help those people. But we need to be aware of that because there are times. I was in a a men's meeting when I first started preaching. Just to illustrate this fact, I'd been preaching for like six months. There were some people in the congregation. They were sort of like on the outer edge of the congregation. And they came to talk to me about how they needed some money for food. So I went to the men of the church at the men's meeting and said, Hey, brother and sister so-and-so, they need some food. And I would suggest that we give them $300 to buy food. What proceeded was... What followed that was about a 20-minute discussion where everyone just argued back and forth whether we needed to help them or not. Now, here was the kicker. The previous men's meeting, it was decided that we were to put handrails up going into the building so that the older people could get in, which I was fine with. It took us five minutes to resolve that. Five minutes. And on an issue that Scripture very clearly says we are to use this money for, we debated it for 25 minutes. There's a problem there. We need to be willing to help one another out physically. Now, we have to be willing to help each other out spiritually as well. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Paul said, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is a rich text. What do we learn from this text? 
For one thing, when it comes to our spiritual relationship one with another, we need to be watching out for one another. I need to be looking at your life and involved in your life. You need to be involved in my life. We need to be talking to one another, and we need to feel comfortable enough with one another that we can step into one another's life if we see something that appears to be troublesome, and we talk to one another. But how do we talk to one another? This is another area where we blow it. Sometimes we step into someone else's life, and we want to slam them. And Paul said that what we do is we seek to restore them with a spirit of gentleness. So, when I was growing up, we had two elders in the congregation. One elder, I can't remember what the song was, but I was probably 18 years old, and I led a song. And after services, the elder came up to me and goes, you realize that song's unscriptural. And, you know, I just felt like, you know, just like that big. Okay. On the other hand, this other elder, if I would preach, he would always meet me in the back hall. And he'd put his arm around me. And sometimes it would be compliments, but every once in a while he'd disagree with me. But he'd disagree with me with his arm on my shoulder. Now, which one do you think I was more willing to listen to? Well, you know the answer. The one who actually looked like he cared about me. And wasn't just a grumpy person who wanted to take down a young guy who didn't know any better. And that's what Paul is getting at here. We need to value the relationship that we have. I have been made better over the years by brethren who loved me and stepped into my life and expressed concern. Sometimes their concern was unfounded. But we had a conversation with each other. Sometimes it was well-founded. And they stepped into my life and they helped me. We help one another and we're there for one another and we care for one another. Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 Josh and I were talking about this just today at lunch. Paul said, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. One of the things I had to realize in years of preaching, Josh and I, when we were talking, I brought this up. There was a Christian in particular, a woman that I was studying with, and she had some mental health problems. And she was really frustrating to me because... I wanted her to grow to the point where she was able to stand on her own. And she'd take two steps forward and three steps backward. And it's really, really frustrating. One day, I looked at this verse in a way that I had never looked at it before. And I suddenly realized that there's no conditional statement in this that says that you uh, warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, as long as they're meeting your own personal standards. That's not there. It's just a statement that in my relationship with my brethren, I'm just patient with them. When I grasped that, it was like this huge weight was lifted off of my shoulder, and now I knew what my relationship with this woman was. I was just going to be there by her side. And I may have to be by her side, encouraging her and caring for her and strengthening her during her whole walk. That could be a reality. That's my role. And that's your role. You need to be someone who cares about your brother or sister in Christ, and you step into their life, you love them, you warn them, you're patient with them, you care about them in every way possible. And what that means is we need to have roles within the church that are there so that we can do that with one another. I don't know the way you guys operate here. 
I would suspect that you probably have some kind of work groups. Okay, At Douglas Hills, we have a number of work groups. Every member is placed in a work group. I wish I could tell you every member goes, but every member doesn't. But every member has a work group that they're assigned to. And on certain Sunday nights, certain work groups meet together. And what they do is they go gather in one of the rooms and someone says, um, Sister Johnson is sick. We need to send her a card and encourage her. Someone goes, hey, I'll take care of that. Our sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so is sick and they need some meals. And uh, I'll take them a meal Tuesday. I'll take one Wednesday night. And so everybody's working together with each other there. So that brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, they don't feel alone during that period of time. Their brethren are coming alongside of them and they're there for one another. Now, some people don't want to be part of this organized group. Okay, that's fine. As long as you've got your finger on the pulse of the congregation and you can help out, that's fine. But there's really no excuse for brethren not being there for one another and not helping one another. Brethren need it so much. I will tell you, my uh, 23-year-old daughter, when she was 15, she was diagnosed with uh, diabetes, type 1 diabetes. And the way it manifested itself with her is she developed cataracts. So she's a 15-year-old kid with cataracts. Well, if you're older and you know that the way that works... What has to be done is they have to go in there and they have to take those cataracts out uh, by removing the lenses. And then they put artificial lenses in. Well, most of the time with artificial lenses, especially for older people, since they've lost their distance vision, it's just sort of set on one setting. But she's a 15-year-old kid. And an option that they gave us was a multifocal lens that would give her more range. The problem was the insurance would not cover that. And it was going to cost about seven or $8,000. Well, I was going to borrow the money and do what I needed to do. But in this whole process, brethren found out about it. And one night, the brethren showed up, um, some brothers and sisters in the congregation, and they had an envelope. And it had $8,000 in it. I've been at that church for 20 years, and that's a big reason why. Because in my hour of need, they were there. And you probably have had similar situations. I hope you have. I pray that you have. Where your brethren have stepped into your life when you needed those moments. In Matthew chapter 10 verse 42, Jesus said, Whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of the disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Jesus said, stepping into the life of someone in need with just a cold water is good. What do you think a casserole is going to do? What do you think a full meal is going to do in those moments? And the proverb writer said in Proverbs 25, verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. What do you think a card does when you're low? When you've missed services for several weeks and you get that card from a brother and they're not judging you, they're not saying, where have you been? They just say, hey, we've missed you. Never, never think light of the idea of writing cards to someone. If you've gotten a card from a brother or sister in Christ and they've written it to encourage you, you know as well as I do, it is a most valuable thing. My wife is fantastic about writing cards. Far better than I am. She's mastered forging my name on a card. So people come up sometimes, they'll say, hey, thanks so much for that birthday card. I'm going, 
you're welcome. I don't have a clue that there was a birthday card sent to them, but she's just, and, but people appreciate that. You think, really, writing a card, are you saying that that's a good spiritual thing for me to do? Yeah, I am. Because it shows that we care for one another. So that's the first thing. We become a servant of the church by caring for one another. Number two, we become a servant of the church by encouraging one another. Again, Romans chapter 16, verse 2, speaking of Phoebe, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. That word receive is an interesting word. It means to welcome her. It means to show her hospitality, to encourage her in her task. Now, what's fascinating about that is Paul thought it important to write to these Christians in Rome and tell them, by the way, when this lady shows up, you make sure you receive her. Which suggests the possibility that Paul thought maybe they may not receive her. Paul didn't want that to happen. Here's a woman doing a work for her, for him, and the last thing that needs to be done is she shows up with this letter from Paul, and everyone's just like ignoring her. Paul says, no, you make sure when she shows up, you receive her. You value what she is doing. Ladies, this is such an important text for you. Please, never feel like because you are a woman you are of less value in the church than a man. And never feel like there are are not important things that you can do in the kingdom of God. And men, let us never make women feel like, because they do not lead publicly, that they are of less importance than we are. And I'll tell you, I've been guilty of that. You know, my wife and I, years ago when I was young and stupid, uh, now I'm old and stupid, but when I was young and stupid... Um, she was working on a children's class and I was working on my sermon and she was stressing over it. And I said, look, this isn't really that big of a deal. You can just sing a couple of songs with them, honey. That did not go over well. <laughs> um, but, and what I was doing was I was belittling what she was doing. What I was doing was more important because I was teaching a sermon and I had to go deep and she could just sing a couple of songs and go over Bible verses. And um, that was just wrong. Phoebe was important. And Phoebe needed to be encouraged in the work that she was a part of. When you are part of the church of God, you need encouragement. You ever need encouragement? You ever feel beaten down? You ever feel like when you go to work, you're around just a bunch of people who are just breaking you down brick by brick morally? They're certainly not encouraging you. You ever, you ever feel beaten down because of health problems? And you, and you want to feel better, but you just can't round that corner. Maybe there's some season in your life that you're going through, and it's just bringing you down. Maybe you're struggling with sin, and that's a very real possibility. And you come here, are you encouraged or are you discouraged? The proper answer is, we need to encourage one another. I think a lot of times we fail to do that. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24, the Hebrew writer said, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That word stir up is an interesting word. It means to stimulate or to agitate. Now, that's not to be taken in a a negative way. And in a lot of churches, people agitate one another in a negative way. Not what we're doing here. We're stirring one another up. 
So when you come in here and you're beaten down, what you need is for a brother or sister to put their arm around you or just come up to you and say, hey, I'm glad to see you. How are you making it today? And I mean, genuinely so. That's what you need. It's a shame. Back in the 80s, there was a TV show, Cheers. And in, in the, the lyrics to the song of the show, it said, you want to go where everybody knows your name. Do you know why bars are so popular? Because people have problems out in the world. And they're coming in there and they're drinking their problems away. But there's a camaraderie they have with one another. and not, They're not judging one another. And there's something comforting that people find in that. I'm not advocating that. You understand. But I'm saying I think it's a shame that people are turning to a worldly institution to to find a sense of encouragement when what God has given us oftentimes is a source of discouragement for brethren. And maybe you've been on the receiving end of the discouragement. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of a self-righteous brother or sister who felt like they needed to judge your life. Maybe your life isn't perfect. Maybe you're struggling with your kids. Maybe your kids aren't perfect. But rather than someone stepping in to try to help you, they stepped into your life just to correct you and to break you down and to expect you just to be tough enough to take it. And you know you're just struggling to live right now. You're not tough enough to take it. You've just been stepped on by someone who you ought to trust. We need to come here with one another and encourage one another. We are here with one another. We need to look for ways to encourage one another. Here are several things that we can do. We need to make sure that we speak highly of one another and value one another. I've got up here Acts chapter 4, verse 36 again. This guy by the name of Josie, who's who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, why do the apostles call him this name? This is great. Which is translated the son of encouragement. So here's the scene. You're this guy, you have been so moved by brethren who are suffering, and you said, you know, I've got some land over here. I don't need it. And he goes and sells it, finds a guy who wants to buy it, and he comes back to the the apostles and says, hey, look, I want to give you this money to help out people. And the apostles are so blown away, they start saying, you know who you are? You're the son of encouragement. How would you like it if the brethren here so appreciated you that they started calling you the son of encouragement? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, that's who Barnabas was. And Barnabas plays a major role in the book of Acts. It is Barnabas who welcomes Paul into the church in in Jerusalem when the other brethren aren't. Barnabas comes along Paul and puts his arm around Saul of Tarsus at that point and says, hey, let me go talk to them for you. Saul needed that. Saul came to Jerusalem and maybe there were brethren who were going like, we know who this guy is. We really don't want him around. And after services, no one was talking to him. Everyone was looking at him except Barnabas. And Barnabas walked on over and put his arm around him and said, hey, my name's Barnabas. I'm Saul of Tarsus. I know who you are. Let's talk. And he, he went and talked to the leadership because they changed their mind. And it's Barnabas when he went to uh, preach and, 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 and show, share the word of God. It was Barnabas who said, hey, I think I need to bring in 
this guy named Saul. Son of encouragement. You need to understand, and I need to understand, that we can lift someone up. And I say that as a preacher. Um, preachers are notorious for breaking people down. And I get it. And I try to think about that. Um, we had an elder met with me a couple of years ago, and he, he said, I just want to encourage you to try to be more encouraging in your sermons. And I didn't think my sermons were discouraging, but apparently he felt like they needed to be more encouraging. He made a great point. And his point was that their brethren out all week long and they're just getting pummeled by the world. And what they need when they come together is just to be lifted up. Shown from Scripture, God really does love you. God really does have mercy and grace on you. God really does actually want you to go to heaven. God's not against you. And you and I can be faithful and we can serve God within our lives. We need to make sure that we're encouraging one another. And there's so many things that you can do on a regular basis to encourage one another. You encourage older people, you encourage younger people, you encourage one another. Third thing, we become servants of the church by praying for one another and by giving on the first day of the week. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 19, Paul said this, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, Paul is giving instructions here to the church at Ephesus, and he tells them that they need to be praying always, but he asks them, I want you to pray for me. As I preach the word of God, I want you to pray for, I need you to pray for me. I appreciate so much the prayers that have been given up while I've been here. You don't know me that well, but so many of you have prayed for me while I preach this week, and I appreciate that. I appreciate when you include Josh, and I know Josh does. And I know Tiffany does. When we pray for one another, we slow down in our lives and we start thinking about our brothers and sisters in Christ. The sister who's experienced the death in her family, the newborn child. When you know your brothers and sisters in Christ and the struggles that they are going through, and you slow down within your life, and you lift them up before God. Sister so-and-so has cancer. Brother so-and-so is struggling with some kind of illness. Those are times that we can take petitions between, before the throne of God and ask God to bless them and to help them so that they may be healed or they may be strengthened. And not only did Paul value the prayers from Christians, Paul prayed for Christians. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, God, Paul said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you, all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Do you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ? I've done this well sometimes, and other times not so well. When I do it well, I get our directory out, and I just pray for five people at a time, every morning when I get into my office. Sometimes I get out of the habit. Sometimes something happens and I get away from that. But I try to go back to that. It is a disciplined thing to do. And I would just encourage you, if you want to help your brothers and sisters in Christ, 
I know you guys have a directory. Just pull that directory out and just say, I'm going to start just praying for my brethren here. You may not know, know what's going on in their lives right now, but there probably is something. It may be something as simple as praying for the strength of that person. But never underestimate the power of prayer. Never underestimate the power of prayer. In the book of Acts, this is really interesting. Chapter 12, Peter is in prison. Okay, So, if you had a brother who is imprisoned, uh, what might we decide to do to try to help them? Well, we might decide, how are we going to raid the prison? How, how are we going to break them out of prison? And we, we read this. <clears throat> and this is Peter when he had gotten out. When he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered praying. Right? Now, they were doing this because they were concerned about him. And rather than coming up with an escape plan, their escape plan for Peter was, let's get together and pray with one another. That's an incredible escape plan. And quite honestly, I think we would think, well, that's not really a plan. I mean, it's good to pray, but that's not really going to get him out of prison. But apparently, it was pretty effective. Sometimes people say, well, what can I do for you? What do we say? Just pray for me. Just pray for me. That's like saying, just give me a million dollars. You know, now that's a big deal. Don't underestimate prayer. Never think that prayer is the last thing you can do for your brother or sister in Christ. Prayer is like one of the primary things that you can do. And we can make sure that we give on the first day of the week. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, uh, Paul talks about these Christians who helped out their brethren, the Christians in Macedonia who sacrificed so much. He said this in verse 1, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that was given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. And they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. To understand what Paul is saying there, we didn't expect this from these guys. They were poor. We didn't expect them to give anything, but they wanted to give. You can give and you can help your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know if there's any brother or sister who has been helped here financially. If you have been, then you know how much that means to you. When your brethren have stepped in in your time of need. At Douglas Hills... Pretty often we have someone who has some kind of financial need. And they meet with the elders and the church helps them. It is amazing to me, as I said a moment ago, that we don't bat an eye spending money for gravel for our parking lot or to put a new roof on the building. But when it comes to the very specific thing that Scripture says this collection is for, we hem-haw around and rub our hands and we run around and over and over again reluctant to do it. No, you're giving is there to help your brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe sometime you're going to be in need of that. And you're not going to know what to do. 
but it's your brothers and sisters and the collection that they give that is helpful to you. So you can give by praying. You can help and serve your brethren by praying and by giving. Last point, we close the lesson. By being an active member of the church. Sometimes people say, well, where does the New Testament talk about membership? You know? Well, I would go to Acts chapter 9 where Saul of Tarsus becomes a Christian and he goes to Jerusalem to, the text tells us, join himself to the saints there. Alright? So I think that's a biblical basis for the idea of membership. All membership is is just, who's a member of this congregation? You guys right now don't have elders. Lord willing, in two weeks you will. But then the question will be, who do the elders watch over? I mean, do they have oversight over the members of other churches here in town? Well, no. They need to know who they're watching over, so that's what membership's all about. Membership is this recognition of, I want to be under the oversight of the elders here at Lakeview. Or, right now, I want the members here to know my life is an open book. for I want to work here, I want to serve right here. That's what membership is all about. It's about saying, I want to be involved in the lives of my brothers and sisters here. I want to care, I want to encourage you, I want to pray and I want to give, and I want to do it primarily here. So again, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we see these people just helping out, and they're active in the lives of one another. This means that we need to serve one another. We need to be active. Again, I don't know what the congregation here is like, but there are too many congregations filled with people that are just on the roll, but they're never active. And I'm not saying that you have to be front and center. Everyone has to see what you're doing. You can do things quietly, and no one may see it. It's not our place to judge one another, but it is our place to encourage everyone to be active. One of the best things you can do, young or old, you teenage guys, you can be active in the work here. Older people, you can still be active. You don't have to retire spiritually. But you need to say, look, I want to do something. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. Nehemiah comes back to the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. We're told this, so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Over and over again in the New Testament, the idea that is presented is a group of people who are all active. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul speaks of the church as a body, and every part of the body is active. That's the way it works in our bodies, right? If your kidneys stop working, you're going to be in the hospital. If your heart stops working, you're going to be in the hospital. You need your leg to work in the morning, don't you? You can't say, well, i got another leg, so, you know, all day long I'm just going to be hopping around. That's not the way to operate. You need that leg to do its thing. And you're some part of the body here at the Lakeview Church. If you're a member here, everybody needs you to be doing your thing. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul speaks of it like this. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said in verse 11, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro 
by the wind, by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, now listen, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know what's killing us, beloved? We have too many churches that are operating at 50, 60, 40%. They are barely getting by. They are anemic. But then there are churches that have figured out how to bring people in, and maybe they're at 80 or 90%. It would be great if they were 100%. But elders can't make anybody do anything. And preachers can't make anyone do anything. At the end of the day, the person that's going to decide whether you are active and you serve your fellow brethren with your activity is you. Okay? That's the reality. I can encourage you. Josh can encourage you. But until you get up and say, you know what? I haven't done as much as I could do here. And I, I want to be a part of this church. And I want to start encouraging my fellow saints. I'm going to start being careful what I say. I'm going to start making sure, this is radical, that if I say something to my brethren, it's going to be helpful. And I don't jump over them because they're sitting in my seat or they're parking in the parking space I've parked in for the last 20 years. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to squash someone who is young and they're trying. What I will do is encourage them. I don't want to take someone who's a sinner and, and they come forward five or six times and every time they come forward, we start rolling our eyes, oh, they're coming forward again. Rather than ignoring them, I'm going to step into their life and I'm going to say, hey, I know it's really tough and I want to help you. And I know you're trying. You wouldn't come forward as often as you did if you, didn't, if you weren't trying. I want to be here for you. And it's going to get messy. And it's easier not to be messy. Church membership is about helping one another. I want to close with this. What is the church about? Now, if you're not careful, our first answer is the church is about worshiping God. And that's a huge part of what the church is about. But there's a reason why God wanted us to worship with other people. If this was just about coming together with one another and singing songs of praise to God, we could do that out in the woods by ourselves, right? There's some reason that God in His wisdom said, I want my people, those called by my name, to come together with one another. And I would suggest to you it's because God knew we needed one another. I need you, you need me. Well, you don't need me because I'm going to leave in a few days. But you need one another, right? And my brothers and sisters in Louisville, I need them. And God has blessed us with a rich fellowship. I will tell you, when you really serve one another and you value one another, the relationship that you have with one another as Christians, I hope you already understand this, it is deeper than any family relationship. Far deeper. I love my brethren. I love my God for giving them to me. And I hope you love one another. And if you don't, I would just encourage you, start serving one another more. That's going to open up a world of blessings God has for every one of us.
We give ourselves over to him. So, be a servant of the church. Care about one another. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Be an active member. And maybe one day at your own death, maybe it will be said of you that insert your name, you were a servant of the Lakeview Church. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be wonderful? May God help you. If you're not a Christian, you need to become one this evening. You need to start on this road and embrace the God who wants to serve you, the one who wants to give you salvation. I know you're saying, I'm not worthy of it. None of us are worthy of it. No one is a Christian because they are worthy to become a Christian. But God in His mercy and grace reaches out to you. And He reaches out to me. Thank God of that. It's there tonight. If you want to become His child, you're ready to repent. You're ready to turn your life around. The water's ready behind me. Josh was showing me it earlier. You can be baptized this evening if you're a child of God. Maybe in particular in this lesson. Maybe you've sat back and thought, I need to do more. May I encourage you in this? Move from a concept into something specific. And if you need to talk to someone who can help you, I'm sure Josh could talk to you and he could probably point you to some people who might be able to help you. He could point you ladies to a woman in the congregation who you could talk to who could start giving you ideas of things that you can do for your fellow saints. If you're a man, some things that you can do. Be a servant of the Lord's people. God wants you to do that. Do you want to do it? Will you do it tonight? You need to come forward. We invite you to come now. While we stand, while we sing for your encouragement.